It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, go to ellerslie.com. So if you are following the podcast, then you would know that I slipped a bonus episode into the Teddy Roosevelt series. Because if you've only been coming to my Sunday night gatherings, you know, to hear that, then you're caught off guard by that news. Uh, We were supposed to be doing this last Sunday, this four-part thing that we've done two other times where we do four sessions at once, and it's been a really fun process. Nathan and I got our calendar a little off. I'll just put it that way. And so we were supposed to do it last Sunday, but it got marketed for this Sunday, which just happens to be Super Bowl Sunday. So I want to say that I'm very impressed for those of you that are here tonight. It's a pretty good-sized crowd considering it's competing with Taylor Swift uh, and the Super Bowl. I think it's actually competing more with Taylor Swift than the Super Bowl. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't have a really good thought or opinion about Taylor Swift yet, but I'm, I'm hearing her name every single place I go these days. And I said this morning in church, I don't know that I've ever heard one of her songs, even though I'm sure I have. I don't know that much about her other than that she's very good at marketing, uh, and, uh, but she seems to be quite the thing right now. I probably need to do a series on spiritual lessons from Taylor Swift so I can, oh, you guys are saying that's not a good idea? All right, all right, I'll stay away from that one. Uh, there's a few people, it's like Teddy Roosevelt to Taylor Swift, there seems to be some type of drop in quality there. Uh, so this is during the Super Bowl, I don't know even how the Super Bowl is going, and praise God that we could have a meditation, something higher. I'm not saying it, you know, watching the Super Bowl, there's nothing wrong with that. But I hope we can beat it. And that's, I want you guys to feel like your choice to come here tonight to hear these three messages. Because I got a bonus one last week, so there's only three tonight to finish up the series. And I'm very excited about these uh, three that I'm about to give. And it's, I, I have a certain sensation or a feeling that I get every now and then where I feel like I'm on to something, like there's a truth here, but I don't know if I have the human capacity to articulate it in the way that it struck me. I don't know if any of you as communicators have ever felt that, but it's a very odd dynamic that you can feel where it's just like a dependence to say, Lord, I need you to carry this out. There were moments in this that were deeply moving to me. And my choice in dealing with the life of Teddy Roosevelt, there's so much I could go into. And so I've almost totally skipped over some of the things that most people emphasize. I mean, he was president for two terms. He is going to run for election in 1912, and I'm not going to explain to you what's going to happen in that election yet, because that's actually a part of our story tonight. But he's going to then go on a safari to Africa. He is going to be coming home Uh, from Africa to one of the biggest receptions anyone in history has ever received his homecoming, probably at the peak uh, of his popularity at that point in time. And, uh, but the things that this man accomplished in his short life, I mean, he's going to die at the age of 60, is profound. It really is. And I I think some of you have been... uh, amazed with, you know, some of the things we've already unpacked. I am going to, in the next three messages, I'm going to go into a friendship. So this particular message is called The Friend. So it's part 10. And I'm going to go into a friendship that Teddy Roosevelt had with a man named William Howard Taft. 
And it's a strange decision for me to do this because there's a lot of grand things that I could be talking about, but I'm going to spend the next three messages and I'm going to be going through his history because Taft is a big part of it. And for those of you that recognize the name William Howard Taft, it's like, that sounds familiar. Well, it's Hudson's favorite president. And if you asked him why, I don't think he has a good reason other than he just looks like the sort of guy you'd like to you know, consider your favorite president. So I need to work on that with Hudson that his reasons become a little better. But Taft is a really good man. Like he's the type of guy that as I talk to you about him tonight, he might become your favorite president too. I don't even know that Taft was a believer. Well, I could say he was a believer in God. He didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And so, you know, there's some demerits that we could already give to Taft, but I think you're going to like the guy nonetheless. He was the president that's going to follow Teddy Roosevelt. And that's all part of the story too. But this friendship is profound. And that's why I decided instead of just to talk about Teddy, I'm going to actually talk about a friendship because in a strange sense, it's a picture of the body of Christ. We are knit together with people in our life and we are not just set on a course and given a commission to change the world by ourselves, but we in a sense are knit together with others that don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't sound like us. And yet we need to learn to work with them and to the degree that we learn to work with them, the world can truly be changed. And that's a picture of the body of Christ. So part 10, the friend. So I figured what, what better way to start out our night uh, than with the, the phrase on the screen, the holy kiss. In fact, that could be an exercise you know, during the break that we, we practice and renew and reinvigorate. Five times in scripture, we are commanded as the body to give a holy kiss. Now, I'm not going to press that. Don't worry. I have given a lot of messages on the holy kiss, and I, I think I find a certain satisfaction in bringing up that topic because it makes especially Americans uh, very uncomfortable. And I like that. I think I like making people squirm in their seat a little. But what the holy kiss is, is it's a symbol of affection within the body of Christ. If there is something God intended within the body, and that is an expression of affection, I think in every culture that could be a different expression. I think we have hugs. Would that be an accurate way of saying it? And you know, the rest of the world doesn't just hug each other, right? But in the church, I think it is a semi-normal thing to express that, that true delight in seeing people. And we express it maybe not as much with a kiss, but we do have still uh, at least somewhat of an expression. The affectionate interconnectedness. Each one brings his or her pastry to bless everyone else. Now that's a phraseology or a statement that I came up with a while back to try and express how we show up at church. And I said, everyone brings their pastry. Now that comes all the way back to, you know, the days in the wilderness when the Israelites were going through the wilderness and they collected their manna. And what's interesting, there was this one scripture I remember reading of how what everyone did with their manna, you know, that they baked it and they did all these things with it. And I was thinking, well, you know, I just thought you just ate it. But then in that scripture, I was realizing there's all sorts of different ways that they would prepare it. They were creative. They were gourmet with their manna. And so 
One of the ways that I described that was it's a pastry. Everyone is creating their pastry. And so every time we would get together on a Sunday, I would remind uh, the church, you guys might remember this, to make sure you're collecting your manna and you're making your pastry. Or even during the week when you're showing up at church, that you're arriving with something to give. You don't make the pastry for yourself. You actually are making the pastry to share with everyone else. And if everyone does this, could you imagine what a delectable feast it would be if all of you throughout the week are collecting manna and you are taking your manna and I don't know, grinding it up, you know, and whipping it into some kind of mixture and then putting it into the oven and baking it. uh, And you all bring it and hopefully it's delicious, right? And you share it. And that is actually the construct of the body of Christ. You are given a gift. According to scripture, each one of us is apportioned a gift. Not all of us receive every gift. All of us are apportioned a gift. And it does not mean just one, but a selection of gifts. We are all uniquely built in the body to complement one another. And so what we are supposed to do is cultivate that gift as if we were taking manna and preparing it into a pastry and then bringing it to the body of Christ. And when we do, we actually build one another up. We strengthen each other by playing our part. So in this story, as I begin to unpack this friendship between Teddy Roosevelt and Willie Taft. We have Teddy and Willie. Isn't it funny? Because we remember him as sort of like Theodore Roosevelt. Well, he didn't go by Theodore very often, right? He was Teddy. He actually liked to be called the Colonel. I haven't used that one at all. When he was young, he was called Teddy, right? So then we have William Howard Taft. It wasn't typically called, hey, William Howard. He was called Willie, isn't that, or Will. And so I, you'll see those names pop up because this is, this is a friendly sort of message. So William Howard Taft, Teddy's best chum. So there's a picture of him. I don't know. I think Hudson might even have that picture on his wall. Do you have that picture? No. Uh, and so just, he was a big guy. We'll just put it that way. Uh, and there's all sorts of legends about his size. Uh, he was a very good eater. The power of collaboration. So that's one of the things I want to bring out in this first message is what you're going to see Teddy was very good at is he was very good at collaborating. Now, that's a word that we use today. It wasn't typically the word they used back then. But I remember hearing someone the other day saying, yeah, they were doing a collab. And I was like, oh, boy. Now we've even shortened it to collab. And I understand what that means. I even uh, did a Google. I was hoping that I would find something really easy, like the best collaborations in history, one of those types of things. And what came up, it was all music collaborations. You know, these, this artist, I was like, nah, that's not what I'm looking for. And so, uh, you know, and I got like Bert and Ernie and uh, Laverne and Shirley, you know, and things like that. And that's not what I was looking for. So I, I had to abandon that project because uh, I didn't have enough time. But the power of collaboration is humans. God designed us to multiply in effectiveness when we work together. Now, that's an important concept that I want you to grab a hold of afresh. I know that if, if you hang out at Ellerslie, this is not a novel, new concept. However, in an American culture, you have to be constantly reminded about it because we have a tendency to do our own thing. Lone rangering, it is sort of a verb for us. It is how we go about things because I can't wait for everyone else to get their act together before I get mine together. I'm just going to do this myself. 
it's, a very, it's something I have struggled with since the very beginning, is that I don't want to wait for the body of Christ to get their game on before I get mine on. I want to just live for Jesus, which is a truth. We are all individually supposed to go after Jesus with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And yet we are a part of something. This organism that we're a part of, known as the body of Christ, needs us to care about each other and to care about where everyone else is around us so that we don't just go running off, but that we make sure we take everyone with us. And so though we are individually strengthening ourselves, as we should, we also need to have an eye on the body of Christ around us. And so this is what we could call a collaboration. I don't think most of us have ever thought of church as a collaboration. We could just do this ourselves, guys, but God's going to create a pattern. He's like, hey, don't despise this and don't ever take it lightly, the gathering together of the body. There is something about this. I want you guys to learn to work together. That's actually what God prescribes. He doesn't just say, go do your own thing. You know, hey, I'm going to be with you. But he actually says there is a greater power when two or three gather together. There's something even in prayer increases. And it's not just a doubling when two people come together. It's a multiplying. It's an exponential effect. And God designed it that way. So I'm going to just give you a brief overview of some Eric collaborations. I, my whole life is collaboration. And if you think about some of these things, they're obvious. But my relationship with Leslie, of course, marriage is a collaboration. But Leslie and I have collaborated. I mean, that's what we did. That was our entire ministry. We traveled. We spoke on stage together. We wrote books together. I don't know hardly anyone that was, has been able to write a book with their spouse. And by the way, I understand why that's hard, which is why Leslie and I had to learn how to do this. I remember I was so upset with our first book as we were going through the editorial process that it was sitting on this coffee table back in Michigan and I kicked the manuscript off and it went flying around the room. Yeah. And I remember my dad once said, uh, you want to have a struggle in your marriage, wallpaper together. I remember I took note of that. Okay, beware of wallpapering together. <laughs> but my dad never wrote a book with his spouse because you have a different voice. You have a different perspective. And that was the one thing Leslie and I had to learn how to deal with is I can't try and make her sound like me and she can't try and make me sound like her. She would use that word, but I wouldn't use that word. I would use this word. She'd never use that word. And the way we articulate, she goes from point A to point B very quickly. I go on a journey to get to B. And I prefer it that way. Uh, you know, I don't like simple. I, I, I like extravagant, bigger than life. And so how do we work together? Well, we found our ways. And that was part of the beauty of collaboration. What I recognize is that when I submitted to Leslie, when she submitted to me, and we both heard each other and we listened to each other, the product that came out was better than if we had just worked on this ourselves. The ideas that came out were richer. They were exponentially more powerful in weight. And we watched the impact of not just me up on stage or not just Leslie up on stage, but the two of us working together. And oftentimes some of the greatest impact wasn't like, for I can't tell you how many times I heard, it's like how you watch Leslie when she talks. You know, it's so sweet. I remember thinking, 
Boy, now that paranoid me, you know, I was paranoid about it. Every time I was in an event, it's like, you know, nodding. It's like, oh, yes. Uh, but it wasn't just the speaking. It was the relational interaction that actually created a greater impact upon the audience. All right, so I had, I'm going to just call this character an inventor. And this inventor came to me with a idea for a book. And... So I said that he was going to go talk with Frank Peretti about it. I said, well, you might as well share it with me. He did that on purpose. I know he did. And so he shared this book idea. And I was thinking, that is is extraordinary. Uh, And so I fell for it. And I was like, okay, I'd like to do that. I'd like to write it with you. Now, he had a mind, still does, but the mind is extraordinary. I mean, spectacular inventions everywhere but I could write. And when you put those two things together, we worked on this novel for three years. Now you could say, whatever happened to that novel? That's a different story. And I'm not going to go into that side of the story. However, it was good. And I remember I was tasting of collaboration in this process because there is no way he could have ever done this without me. And I would have never had these ideas without him. And I was tasting something beyond just what I had with Leslie. I was recognizing that... You could take someone who's so different from me. I mean, this, I'm calling this the inventor. This inventor isn't like me in almost any regard. And yet, when I learned to take from what he had and utilize it, it expanded what we both could do individually. Eric Collaborations, uh, how about with Nathan and Philip? Well, that's what Ellerslie is. Ellerslie is a collab Oh, isn't that awkward? <laughs> yeah, I'm working on a collab right now with Nathan and Philip. But it is. And we submit one to the other, and it makes us sharper, and it expands our ability to do what we do. This isn't just the work of one person. This is a work of a collaboration of many different people. Eric Collaborations, how about this one, with Nate and Sam. Uh, when it comes to building and overhauling all of this, it's a collaboration. And Sam and Nate, we, we've joked about the different strengths and the weaknesses. I mean, my weakness is, you know, I'm fine with MDF trim. And I still don't see any reason why MDF, it's a lot less expensive. And then we have the opposite end of the spectrum where Nate is sort of like, there is no way I'm putting in MDF trim. What kind of vision do you have for this property? <laughs> <laughs> and that is a unique blend of strengths. And I'm always coming up with harebrained ideas and they're very practical, right? Always trying to dim my harebrained ideas, those turkeys. But it's, it's great and it's fun. Uh, this was a very special one, I think, for both Hudson and me. But uh, Hudson and I worked on a novel uh, a couple years ago and it still ranks as one of my favorite things I've ever worked on. I think for him too, he'd probably say the same thing. And it was a collaboration. And Hudson's ideas are extreme. I mean, I have zany ideas, but Hudson just is at a whole nother level. We're going to blame that on the Leslie gene. You know, she just, something just spiked uh, in that one. And, but it was a very, very special process for us where both of us would acknowledge we, we had a, a principle that is we wouldn't move forward with the project until we both were in agreement. So we wouldn't develop a character a certain way unless we both agreed. We wouldn't have that character speak in this manner unless we both agreed. We wouldn't allow the plot to turn a certain way unless we both agreed. 
And so, but we would start sometimes at a very different place and we would work through that to a place where both of us would say, that's better than either of us ever thought. It's the power of collaboration. It was very beautiful. So let's talk about Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt collaborations. So he is going to learn to work with the media. Now, at the time, media was a very different construct. And so this is going to be the explosion of media that shapes a nation. You could blame it on Teddy Roosevelt because Teddy Roosevelt is going to develop a relationship with journalists, which is wholly unusual to anything that has ever existed. And you could almost say before or after, but he is going to, he loves the criticism they bring and he'll invite them in and he doesn't have some press secretary. He's like, Hey guys, come on, come on in. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what you don't like. And they'll tell him what they don't like. And then he'll laugh and he'll say to them what he doesn't like. He's like, and he reads everything they write. So he can quote it verbatim back to them too. And guess what? The journalists, even if they don't politically agree with him, love Teddy Roosevelt. And so they are going to expand his message and give him favor in this country, unlike any public officer has probably ever had. That's a remarkable thing, but you could call it a collaboration. What president works with the media? Well, okay, guys, uh, no answers to that question. Uh, we're going to keep moving here. Teddy collaborations with Willie Taft. And of course, that's the whole point of what I'm bringing up. These two are humorously different from each other. In fact, if you look at them, they're really not anything like each other, other than, you know, as they grow older, they're both going to sort of gather more width. But personality-wise, they're both very friendly, so that's a similarity, but Taft is more reserved and hidden. He'd rather just be by himself. Teddy is always at the center of a party. Taft is fine being wallpaper. Taft is a legal mind. So he has a legal mind. I could say a legalistic mind, but in the most positive sense, he thinks and reasons logically. Teddy Roosevelt is all emotion. We need to stop this. We need to do this. Whatever it takes, we're going to do it. Taft is like, no, we have to follow the law. And this is actually going to create more of the drama as we progress over these upcoming three episodes. But this is an amazing collaboration, which is going to cause both of them to change the world. Both of them are going to become world changers because they're working together. So I'm going to make a statement here. Collaboration is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. It's a body, each part embracing its particular role and performing it with excellence. But part of the challenge for us is to not only exercise our role or our part of the body with excellence, but then understanding the value of every other person around us and allowing the strengths around us to be included in the way we work. And that is something that American Christianity does not really have much strength in. Okay, guys, I don't like the word bromance, but, you know, hey, I, I had to throw it in uh, because, you know, it just, it fit. It's the budding bromance, Teddy plus Willie. Oh, that's awkward. Why did I do that? All right, Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote a book called The Bully Pulpit. 
Uh, you guys have already heard me talk about the word bully, right? So when you hear the word bully pulpit, because that's what Teddy Roosevelt said he had, he had a bully pulpit. When he would speak, the journalists would write it down. And he recognized, he learned how to use that. And that's why it's called the bully pul pulpit. But if you understand the, the word bully, which is like stupendous, powerful, amazing, this is an amazing pulpit that I have, is what he is realizing. If he learns to work with the media, he can change the world. And so he's learning to collaborate. So Doris Kearns Goodwin is going to write this. The two men had first met in their early 30s when Roosevelt headed the Civil Service Commission and Taft was U.S. Solicitor General. We lived in the same part of Washington, Taft recalled. Our wives knew each other well and some of our children were born about the same time. Over the years, this friendship had deepened, becoming what Taft described as one of close and sweet intimacy. Goodwin continues, when they both arrived in Washington, D.C. in the 1890s, they relied upon one another for advice and camaraderie, often meeting for leisurely lunches. Roosevelt did most of the talking, finding scant pleasure in his food, while Taft relished generous portions. Whether, quote, absorbed in work or play, one reporter observed Roosevelt, Roosevelt would eat hay and not know it, whereas Taft savored his meals with care. Profound differences in manner and metabolism never diminished the delight they found in each other's company. Isn't that a great way of saying it? So William Allen White, who was a journalist at this time, watching this relationship, uh, said, they established one of those strong friendships that may be established only by men whose exteriors form such antipathetical sutures that they unite by a spiritual affinity. Often the more different, the better. You guys ever noticed that? And this is one of... It's been one of my strategies in life is that I don't usually surround myself with people that think exactly like me, talk like me. I don't need to hear myself talk. I like different opinions. I like different personality types. I like different approaches because I see the strength that comes out of it. Not everyone agrees with that. Most people like to gather around people that say the exact same thing, think the exact same thing, so there's no friction. But I look at that as an iron sharpening iron type of friction, and it's good. So often the more different, the better, as long as a common goal is shared. Because difference in and of itself doesn't make something good. If you're, you know, being around another believer, if you're headed towards the glory of Jesus, if you're desirous to exalt Jesus, to exalt his word, to remember who he is and what he has accomplished for us and to make it known to the world... Well, you can differ on certain aspects of how it's worded or, you know, what this means and how it should be done. But, hey, we're still headed in the same direction. Corinne Roosevelt, who is Teddy's sister, later commented on the Roosevelt-Taft friendship. This is what she said. There, now, Corinne, her last name wasn't Roosevelt somewhere along the line. But since I don't know her maiden or her married name, sorry, guys, for those of you that are Corinne experts. This is what she said. Their laughs would mingle and reverberate through the corridors and rooms. And Edith, who's uh, Teddy's wife, would say, it is always that way when they are together. Doris Kearns Goodwin said this. From the outset, each man recognized the rare character and unique talent of the other. The Boston American had a very unique statement about Taft. It says, Mr. Taft is the kind of man you would expect to find in the president's office of a bank if you went in to start an account. His appearance would give you confidence in the bank. You would say to yourself, this man will not let the bank fail if he could possibly help it. 
If the boat were sinking and he could swim and you couldn't, you'd hand him your $50,000 if you had it, saying, give this to my wife, and she'd get it. That was the sort of man Taft was. He was utterly trustworthy. He had a sense of stability about him, and everyone just liked the man. Now, everyone liked Teddy, too, so it's interesting to see these two working together, but they're two very different guys. Teddy Roosevelt says, one loves him, this is speaking of Taft, at first sight. He has nothing to overcome when he meets people. I realize that I've always got to overcome a little something before I get to the heart of people. I'm almost, I almost envy a man possessing a personality like Taft's. He can get along with some men that I can't get along with. His good nature, his indifference to self, his apparently infinite patience enables him to get along with men, however cold or acerb or crotchety. Goodwin says this, and Roosevelt was unabashedly thrilled to finally have Taft on board. So need to fill in some gaps because we have a lot happening that I'm not saying. McKinley is going to be assassinated in 1801. That is going to bring Teddy Roosevelt into the presidency. As the vice president, he is now going to be sworn in as the president of the United States. And so he has his work cut out for him, and he is going to inherit McKinley's cabinet, but as he progresses, he is going to begin to build his own cabinet. And the number one character he wants is going to be the hardest one to get because he's actually seems at this point in time running the Philippines. And, but that's William Howard Taft or Willie. He wants Willie by his side. If he's going to do this, he needs his friend. So when Roosevelt was unabashedly thrilled to finally have Taft on board, exclaiming, thank heaven you are to be with me. I have an additional and selfish reason for wanting you here, he confessed as he looked toward the upcoming presidential campaign. I shall have to rely very much upon you, upon your judgment and upon your making an occasional speech in which you put my position before the people. I should like you to be thoroughly familiar with this position and all its relations. And such familiarity, familiarity you can only gain by close association with me for some length of time. In other words, by being in the cabinet. So Taft is going to become the main guy in in Teddy's cabinet. He is Teddy's man. So the common passion to change the world. These guys share a similar heartbeat. There's certain things like corruption in government. They both, it just drives them crazy. And they want all the bad guys out. These guys both love truth and integrity. And that, which is one of the reasons why over history, I think we like Roosevelt and Taft is because they were genuinely after some of the corruption that had so massively become endemic in the American system. And yet they also had a passion for what we could call the underdog. At this time in history, for those of you that are, know your history, it's more of a world history issue. We're going to have something in the early 1900s that is called the rise of communism. And communism is going to play a role because of the extreme difference between the wealthy and the poor. And the working class has not had a voice. And you're going to see that suddenly begin to be appealed to, which is going to lead to things like the Russian Revolution in 1917, which is going to overthrow the Tsar of Russia, and it's going to bring in the Soviet Union. And most people would even say, if you were to look into this a little deeper, that if Roosevelt and Taft hadn't come along when they did, that America would have gone the same direction. 
because of the discrepancy between the wealthy and the poor was at a very extreme level at this point in time in American history. We were ripe for the same issues. And yet what Taft and Roosevelt are going to do is they're going to see the need and they're going to say, we need to get the corruption out at the high levels and we need to take care of the little guy. And this was called progressives. Uh, they were progressives in the government. They were Republicans, but they were progressive Republicans. And they wanted to change things. They didn't want the status quo. And any guy who wants to come in and change things usually has a lot of resistance. So the common passion to change the world, two sort of men, two very different personalities, two completely opposite approaches with one goal. They both wanted to do the same thing. They both were in agreement, even though the way they would do it was totally different. As Taft is heading up his cabinet, Roosevelt, some of the things he's doing, Taft would never do. And he'll even say that. I would never do that. And, but he agrees with what Roosevelt's trying to accomplish. It's just the method of doing it is totally bizarre to Taft. Taft is a legal guy. His dream is to be the Supreme, uh, Supreme Court justice. He doesn't want to be president of the United States. He's a legal guy. He wants to hang out in books. He wants to just be wallpaper and make a nice, wise statement to help the nation that way. Teddy is a big personality. He loves being the guy in the room that everyone's looking at. He can tell stories all day long. Two very different men. Teddy plus Willie, best of friends. Isn't it interesting just how God can work in us when we see the virtue and the value in each other. You see, we might not be in a formal, sorry to use the word again, collab that we are aware of, but we are. The church at Ellerslie is a collaboration. We have a lost and dying world and we have a common goal. However, most of us have never learned to work together in the way we're we understand how to. Theoretically and theologically, we would agree with everything I'm saying. But one of the things that really stood out to me when I went to, I was a, I've been to a couple of the Kendricks uh, film shoots, you know, when they were making some of their films. And of course, you know, I have been on, some, you guys ever saw Legacy Peak? Uh, some of you were on the, the crew uh, for that, where we actually were making a film up in Estes Park. And so I've watched something up close, and that is the formation of a film where you typically have somewhere between 60 to 100 different people. And they all know exactly what they're supposed to do when they wake up the next day. And they all are working together for a common end. And every time I see that, I'm thinking, okay, that's the church, but we don't know how to do that for the church. We don't know how to change the culture out there by weaving our lives together in a collaboration. We're in a collaboration. It's just not a very well done one, if I could say it that way. We're not very good at collaborating as a body. We agree with the concept. We all know that we have a gift. We all know that we're supposed to edify one another with it. We know the truths but we don't know exactly how to integrate into the body in such a way where we're being maximized. And as leaders, I'll be the first one to acknowledge it. We're not that good at maximizing everyone. You know we have the desire here because we talk about it a lot, but that doesn't mean we've learned the art of doing it. And so as I bring up something like this, I want you to recognize that as Teddy is coming into this position of power and he becomes president of the United States, you know, one of the guys that made him 
possibly one of the greatest presidents of all time? His name is William Howard Taft. And William Howard Taft is going to be elected president in 1908. You know who got him elected president? Teddy Roosevelt. In other words, the two go together, sort of like Moses and Joshua, that the two can't be separated. Moses needs Joshua, and Joshua needs Moses. And you're not going to have the progression into the promised land. Everything Joshua knows came from his training under Moses. The two need each other, just like the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can't just slice off one of them and throw it out. The reason we have confidence in the New Testament is because it perfectly fulfills the old. But the old by itself has no life. It is a road sign. It is a foreshadow of something to come. It's like that movie that shows you all these foreshadows. You're like, I know where this is going, then it ends. It's like, uh, wait a minute, is this like a seasonal thing? Like an episodic thing? What happened? No, that's just the end. The end is Malachi? Are you serious? Is that the end of this story? No, it's not the end. You need both and. You need a Roosevelt and you need a Taft. You need a Taft and a Roosevelt. So whichever side of that equation you're in, you recognize that to be able to fulfill the purpose and the calling that you have, it's not just you. I know, I don't like that either. It really sort of bothers me. The American individualism is being poked at in that. But ironically, one of the number one guys to espouse American individualism is the guy who learned how to collaborate, Teddy Roosevelt. Now, I don't like the term American individualism. It sounds very dangerous. However, there are strengths to what we've learned in this country. There are certain things that we understand. It's like, hey, I don't need to just wait for the government to tell me to do something. You know what? If I know that something's right, I'm going to go out and make it happen. You know, there's actually some wonderful quality in that that sounds very much like Paul the Apostle when he got the commission from on high to go and reach the Gentiles. It's like, whoa, what is that? Yeah, so that's not a bad quality. It's just that if it lacks the collaborative, the deferential interconnectivity within the body, it will die and wither. We need each other whether we like it or not. All right, guys, look at that. So there's Taft on the right, and there's Teddy looking rather stiff uh, on the left. So I have a whole bunch of different pictures. I, there's loads of these, by the way, guys. So the, the cartoonists, the, the political cartoonists back in that day, they just feasted on the funny-looking characters known as Taft and Roosevelt. So uh, there's another one. Uh, so if you're getting this via podcast, you're missing some fun uh, you know, cartoons uh, that uh, some of the political artists uh, drew back then. I don't even know how to describe that. Uh, and so there, again, we have Taft and leaning on, I'm guessing that's like uh, Naomi and Ruth. Uh, and so a little awkward. But when I say bromance, I guess it all fits together, doesn't it? Uh, so... Out of this unique connectivity of lives, one man dynamically leads, Teddy. Teddy is a built leader. He's just designed by God that way. Can't help it. While the other man, quote unquote, sits on the lid. That's just a Teddy Roosevelt-ism. So this comes from this quote here from Goodwin. Throughout the Roosevelt administration, Taft functioned in Roosevelt's own estimation as a central figure in his cabinet because it was seen as undignified for a sitting president to campaign on his own behalf, Taft served as the chief surrogate during Roosevelt's 1904 presidential race, the most demanded speaker on the circuit to explain and justify the president's positions. 
In an era when presidents routinely spent long periods away from Washington, crisscrossing the country on whistle-stop tours or simply vacationing, it was Taft, the Secretary of War, not the Secretary of State or the Vice President, who was considered the acting president. Asked how things would be managed in his absence, Roosevelt blithely replied, oh, things will be all right, I have Taft. I, I left, I've left Taft sitting on the lid. And so that was the implicit confidence that Roosevelt would have by leaving Washington and turning over basically the function of the government to Taft. So after two terms in the presidency, Roosevelt picks Taft as his successor and puts all he has behind him in the 1908 election. So there was, it was an unspoken, unwritten thing. Well, I shouldn't say it was not unspoken. It was spoken, but it was unwritten. It wasn't part of the Constitution that a president was not limited to two terms, but historically, he would do two terms and then he'd step down. And that was good for the country. And so Roosevelt, in the very beginning, made that declaration. I'm going to step down after two terms. And so he, had to, he wanted to keep his progressive agenda going. It was changing the country. And who better, guys? I mean, you have to admit, who better to carry that on than Taft? And so he's going to put all his efforts behind Taft's presidency. What's funny is Taft didn't want to be president. Taft, Taft wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. I don't want to be president. And yet the pressure from Teddy, the pressure from the Republican Party to continue this wave. Teddy's going to get behind you. He doesn't have anyone else he believes in. He trusts you with this mantle. So the pressure, and then from his wife, you know, Taft's wife is like, come on, you know, I want to be first lady. And so poor Taft, I mean, I really do have a heart for the guy. He doesn't want to be president. He doesn't want to be the central figure. He wants to be a supporting guy. The next thing you know, he's like, okay, I'll do this. And that's going to lead to some of the greatest challenges of his life. It will. But that's what's happening here in 1908. So Taft is going to be elected. It's, uh, with Teddy Roosevelt backing him, it's sort of an easy victory, guys. So Teddy Roosevelt spoke to a friend after the election of Taft. Taft is as fine a fellow as ever sat in the president's chair. And I cannot express the measureless content that comes over me as I think that the work in which I have so much believed will be carried on by him. Now, I don't know if you guys can hear a foreshadow in where I'm going with this. I don't know if you're picking this up, that I'm going into three episodes on this relationship between Taft and Roosevelt. And by the way, I don't know if I should give you a hint of what the next one is called. I don't know that I should, but it's called Fractured. And some of the most painful things that I've studied in history happen in this next episode. I mean, it's really difficult for me because when I see the beauty of what can happen when two men work together and share their strengths, it's really hard for me to imagine that fracturing. So Teddy Roosevelt, this is a public statement after the election of Taft, and I'm going to have to be just honest here. The second half may not be his words. Now, if you say, well, whose words were they? I don't know, but I, there, I have enough reason to, to wonder, but they're still good words. This is what Teddy said. He is going to be greatly beloved as president. He has the most lovable personality I've ever come in contact with. America incarnate, sham-hating, hard-working, crackling with jokes upon himself, lacking in pomp but never in dignity. A great, boyish, wholesome, dauntless, shrewd, sincere, kindly gentleman. Psalm 133. Now, I know I gave a foreshadow of things to come, and I shouldn't have done that. You know, that, that's terrible. Uh, but... I want you to bask first in the truth that is buried in this particular message. And I would be the first one to say, to learn and understand collaboration 
is a marvel. It is truly something I want every single one of you to begin to taste at a greater level in your life. My chief desire out of this is that we would have a fresh vision as the body of Christ to learn to work together. Two men that in and of themselves did not have the capacity to impact the world. When working together, suddenly the world has changed. That's an incredible statement. So Psalm 133 is a great enunciation of that. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edges of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So Aaron being the high priest, and we recognize that Jesus is both a high priest and he's also a king which means he's the double anointed. So he doesn't just have one bit of anointing oil running down his beard. He has the king's authority as well. And so, and who's his body? We are. An incredible picture of the body of Christ right there in Psalm 133, that like Aaron, the high priest, who has this unction, this anointing, this Holy Spirit upon him, that his body is going to receive the benefit of his position. And how beautiful it is if we were to work together as that body and function as that body. What could happen in this world? So I've finished each of these messages with a question. Teddy Roosevelt, question number 10. Are you using your unique gift within your family? Are you using your unique gift within your church? Are you using your unique gift within this world? If not, then why not? Now, I, you know, it's, it's not really that I have a message for you of how to just cultivate your gift. That isn't what I, this message is about. But it is a reminder that you have been given something powerful. The devil will go out of his way to say it doesn't matter. The world doesn't need it. The church doesn't want it. Your family can't see it. I know. Same voice for all of us, guys. It's the voice of diminishment. The enemy wants to try and convince you that you don't have something to contribute. The word of God says the exact opposite. You have been gifted with something very needy for us, for this dying world out there. Now, it may be that it's a more hidden gift. Like, for instance, in the body, there's something called a big toe. And a big toe isn't always seen. It is oftentimes covered in a sock and a shoe. And so you might not see it, but you remove that big toe and you immediately have balance issues in the body of Christ. And so learning how to play your role, even if it be a hidden role, is still part of the art of being a believer. And I finished each one of these messages with a quote, a Teddy Roosevelt quote. So this is Teddy Roosevelt quote number 10. Teddy on the power of collaboration. Well, that seems appropriate. Teddy said this, I am a strong individualist by personal habit, inheritance, and conviction, but it is a mere matter of common sense to recognize that the state, the community, the citizens acting together can do a number of things better than if they were left to individual action. So he's not talking about the church, but you can't help but apply it. In other words, he's saying, yeah, I'm wired to be an individualist. So am I, by the way, guys. I, I understand that exactly. But... It's only a matter of wisdom to recognize what God says in his word when he says, Eric, you need this body. And apart from this, it's going to wear you down to a nub. You will not be able to accomplish your purpose unless you learn how to collaborate within the body of Christ. 
Okay, Lord, give me wisdom. What does that look like? How does this work in an era of Americanism where all of us are doing our own thing? What does that look like, Lord? Because I want to succeed in this. And I know you do too. Father, give us wisdom. Give us understanding of what this looks like. Lord, bring us our Willie Taft. Show us how we can build up the church around us and be built up by that same church. Lord Jesus, show us what this looks like in our day and age. We ask for this wisdom in the name of Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. If you'd like to learn more about Ellerslie, our discipleship programs, or support the ministry financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. Thanks for listening.